dudes yesterday in the locker room, something living inside me showed up. I've got a radical lost man for a persona. Too bad he might die if he stings. For sure, man. There was a there I was at a drink fountain, and suddenly this funky god of disco popped out for my persona. Uh, too bad nobody worships him anymore. I thought like I was the only one. My awesome persona is like this righteous fraggle. I can't really fight anything, but I can throw it around and it never gets hurt. Like it's so good. I've got this most triumphant werewolf for a persona, dudes. Except it can only come out on a full moon night. Most heinous. Well, okay, we got this most excellent Mexican cartel ring to break up with our personas. This'll be wicked. Totally bitchin', dudes. I'll throw my super cool fraggle around, and, like, you'll do most of the pain stringing thing on, like, the guys with the guns, and, you know, you'll, like, keep them busy with some mega funky dancing, and, you know, um, I'll have to do this on a full moon, dog. No problemo. We've got one Saturday night. Let's show how our tubular spirits will kick some butt to the max. Most, most not triumphant, guys. These cartel dudes are not excellent at all, but we're totally dead now. Come with me if you want to live. Theorizing that one could travel within their own lifetime, two old RP gamer staff members stepped into the RPG Backtrack Time Accelerator and vanished. They woke to find themselves trapped in the past, playing and talking about computer and console RPGs from the 80s right up to yesteryear, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Their only guides on this journey are other staff and players from RPGamer.com who they meet to help record podcasts that only their audience can listen and hear. And so, Phil and Mike find themselves leaping from game to game, striving to put right gaming backlogs gone wrong, and hoping each time that their next recording will be the one that leads them home. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is number 106, Igmar Bergman's Persona. Wait for... That is an actual... There you go. My name is Phil Willis and this is... And to join us tonight on the show to talk about a couple of Persona games is our good friends, Sam Marshmallow. And I was like, Persona! And, and she was like, Persona! <laughs> and the person who makes the marshmallows, Michael the Baker. Yeah, yeah. bakers bake marshmallows. Really? Yeah. Okay. Kind of went there. That's kind of weird, don't you think, Baker? <laughs> just, just a touch. Yeah, he's used to it. We, we, have, we have our bro our bro love. Oh gosh, now I got that my little brony skit from from uh, college humor stuck in my head. Uh, Let's not speak of the bronies. Oh my god, they scare the. I fight with the bronies every time I go to a convention because they... they treat the little kids like crap. Yeah. I have to keep reminding them that they're... you know the show My Little Pony. 
it's kind of made for them just as much as it's made for you. <laughs> only they're less creepy about it. Oh, I I thought I admit I didn't know there were Brodies until I had gone to to Paizocon and they were having like a separate convention or something. But um, I saw them a couple of blocks down the road when I came out to to walk to the car and. There's a bunch of guys with My Little Pony t-shirts on. I was doing a double take. Is this for real? I, I didn't even know what to make of it. My brain couldn't even put it together. I mean, I've got it's some... I got Transformers, G.I. Pony? Really? I mean, I see guys with, like, Decepticon shirts and like that, but, but, but My Little Pony? What's going to be next? Jim? I don't know. And I had to look. I had to go home and, and Google it. I just I didn't even know what they were doing. I didn't even know. I, I had no idea that there were guys out there following My Little Pony shows. Well, you have some people who are into My Little Pony because they actually like the show, and then there's the other kind, which is a little bit more uncomfortable that we shouldn't talk about. That we shouldn't talk about. <laughs> no, they're really inappropriate at conventions. I've seen some pretty nasty instances of bronies, like, stalking little children. Uh, yep. And me opening my mouth and going, if you continue to be a freaking creeper, I'm going to make sure you get escorted out. Uh, I'm not very nice to the bronies. I try, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just not. I can't do it. Well. I, mean, I, can, I can tolerate most fandoms, okay? going to convention. Hmm? I don't go to conventions, so I don't so see you're this safe. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, we probably... Sh- I work conventions, so I don't we, really have a choice. We shouldn't talk... You're right. We shouldn't talk about the creepy brodies. But you know what we should talk about? We should talk about Persona. We're going to be well, talking... We this- could talk about how the pony beauty marks are Persona. Oh, jeez. That's true. All right. Yeah, similar, similar. Similar idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... And similar while being, by, while being completely different, but let's just see how long we can string the joke along. <laughs> Knowing us, it'd be a long time. Well, while many of you are, are probably familiar with uh, with Persona 3 or 4, since uh, those did so well on the PlayStation 2 and, and later on on handheld systems, uh, we're going to go back uh, a bit further into that history. We're going to talk about Revelations Persona and Persona 1, which came out on the PC, PSP. Um which are di- which are not the same which game are not, in the yeah. North American regions. No, no, but we'll talk about m- they're, they're, more. They're special in that they're similar and different. And different. For the wrong reasons. The wrong reasons. <laughs> so, we're going to take a teeny tiny break, and when we come back, we'll jump right into this with the main event. Hold on tight. Welcome back. We're ready to talk about a couple of Persona games. And by we, I mean Sam and Mike, because um, I didn't play this one at all. Uh, this was this uh, we were talking about Revelations Persona, 
Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Japanese name. This was uh, published and developed by Atlas and released on the PlayStation, as it says here, as well as Windows 95 and 98. Remake came out later on the PlayStation Portable. Anyways, released here uh, on North America in November, originally November 1996 on the PlayStation, and Japan, oh, the Windows version is Japan only, March 22nd, 1999. And then later on, on the PlayStation Portable, late in its career, September 22nd, 2009, you could also get through the PlayStation Store. So I I don't know if that's Vita compatible or not, though. Not all of those PlayStations. That one is. That one is. Okay, so you can play this one on your Vita then. I love both my Vita. This one and uh, Innocence, and you can both play on your Vita. Ah, Vita's your friend. So now we're going to tell you whether or not it's actually worth playing on your Vita. This is a single-player RPG. So, who would like to kick it off with the story? Can I, can I not talk about the story and actually just... The story! Actually kind of give an anecdote about how I got oh, Revelations Persona. Anecdotes, uh, antidote, whatever you just said. And then story. Anecdotes. And then story. No, this, the plot of this game is story. It's not even worth talking. About. Come on, man. I mean, come on. It's it's deep, and we need to talk about it. It's actually not deep. That's the funny part. You know, I, oh, you know, this might be the, the one I played. Actually, I get these Persona games confused. So I went to my local EB Games uh, it must have been about a year after it released and I found it used didn't know what the hell it was, I was like, why does this cover giantly say, Revelations Persona, Persona. I was like, what, blah, okay, whatever like, it sounds ridiculous, so I'll play it um, I took it home started it up and this game's hideous Persona. It, the, the, the original Playstation version is one of the ugliest games I've ever played, and it's one of those games where it's so easy to get lost. The maps, like the world map in particular, is huge, to the point where it added crosswalks, and you had to obey the crosswalk, which I just thought was the most bizarre thing. People people call that charming. I'm getting Mario is missing flashbacks. <laughs> it's like, people find it charming. I think it's chaotic, because this game also has one of the worst encounter rates I've ever encountered in an RPG, as in every step, you're basically battle, step, battle, step, battle. Which, thank God for the PSP version, they toned down, because I don't think I could have handled it. And just to prove how far I got, um, I only beat the high school, and I never did find the second location as to where I was supposed to go. And I put 20 hours in, no less. And I still didn't know where I was going. This is also back when I didn't have a computer, so... Sixth or seventh dungeon, I remember that much. I just also remember that in the dungeons... It strongly resembled that one um, old Windows screensaver, the one with the, where you yeah. just hit the maze over and over again, and it kind of hypnotizes <laughs> you and you fall asleep. That's what the inside of the dungeons were like. And Yeah, they're really bland on the original PlayStation version. They're not much better on the PSP, but... They're, they're a little better than some of the Super Famicom games. <laughs> I'm like, sure they are. Except the dungeons in Persona are a lot bigger than in some of the Super Famicom games, and... Oh, what were the map functions like in this one? I'm trying to remember. I'm um, just... there really wasn't any. That's what I was trying. That's what I was thinking. Of, That's yeah. what I mean. Like, um, with the PSP version, one of the beautiful improvements they put in was you have a mini map, and on your mini map, it actually will log with little footsteps where you've gone and where you haven't gone. In the original version, you get squat. Basically, you're playing D and D, make a paper map. Yay! Because you half the time can't figure out where you've gone, where you've already been, because there's nothing to mark it, or there's nothing to show that you've done it. And it's not like a dungeon crawler with wizard, like wizardry or um, 
some of the like some of the older ones where you know what the whole point was to explore and get lost because there's not much of a story right uh this game has quite a bit of story but half the time i don't think many people got through it because the dungeons were just so long and tedious with nothing really in them now as an early playstation game this probably has lovely load times doesn't it i'm trying to remember how bad the load times were on this one because like i said remember but i mean it's just hard i'm sure they existed <laughs> I mean, if they do i don't remember I mean, I was playing a lot of PlayStation games when I tried this one, and I don't remember anything extraordinary about the load times. I mean, they were there, but not the worst. Yeah, I don't either. remember them being bad. Actually, I think they might actually be worse on the PSP version. Funny enough. Um, well, I would I would take uglier Super Famicom games without load times, just because load times have become a constant burr in my side lately. You know what? It, per, Revelations Persona. It's a unique beast. And it's a game where, to be honest, I can't say I've met too many people who have beat the original version, mostly due to the complaints that Baker and I have kind of put out there. Um, it's just one of those games where it's it's so big, and yet you don't feel like there's a lot in the world. Like, you know there's a story, and you know that the story is kind of interesting. You know, we got some more Carl Young awesomeness kind of going on. But for the most part, it takes so long in that original version to get to the story bits that you start to kind of forget you know, where, what was even happening or what was going on. Well, Michael, did you play this before or after you entered Japan? Uh, after. So you played it... In Japanese. Okay. Then that, then that means it must be even curiouser to think about what Atlas did to this. Yeah, um, I didn't realize that one of the characters was black in the American version until I looked something up online, because in the Japanese version, he, he could pass for half Irish. And it's funny, because in the PSP version, they put him back to the half Irish. Yeah. That would be Mark, right? Yeah. Mark was, yeah. He had, he had, the, he had the kind of knit cap and yeah. the dark hair that was going slightly orange. Yeah, and... it was kind of funny. Um, a lot of people were really offended by what they did to Mark. <laughs> because... The first release or the second release in America? The first. <laughs> okay. The second one, they put him back to how he was supposed to look. Mm -hmm. But then more people were like, well, why is he not black anymore? <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like, he was never really black to begin with. That was Atlas's, Atlas USA's fault. Now, <laughs> Sam, you have spoken to the people who work at Atlas in recent years. Did anyone there have any ideas as to what exactly happened with this game back in the day? No, because none of them worked at Atlas the time that um, that this one was released. So they were, of course, when they were retranslating it, they were trying to get it closer to what it originally was, especially after the fact that when Japan found out about Mark, they were kind of like, that's not right. <laughs> so does um, he speak like a stereotypical black person would for the localization? In the original one, actually, he did. In the PSP version, they've really scaled a lot of that stereotyping back. Because Mark, as a character, is supposed to be... He, he's the reckless one of the group. Like, he's very outspoken and very um, very volatile a lot of the time. Isn't he the one, wasn't he the one who had the gun collection and he just started yep. sharing out after that first amount yep. of the police station? Yep. Yeah. So you go to the I police station that. and he's like, like, here, have some guns. And everyone's just kind of like, we don't know how to shoot them. He's like, that's okay, you'll figure it out. And I was like, thinking, why does he have that many firearms? In yeah, you have to wonder a little bit. In the, in the original localization, like, I remember seeing screens for it, and it was a lot more kind of offensive <laughs> than, 
you know, when I when I played this one and I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't seem as offensive as the first time around. It's like, Atlas, what are you implying here? It's not very nice. <laughs> but, you know, like, some of the characters definitely in the PSP version come across a little bit differently. Like, they seem more toned down compared to what I remember from the little bit I played. And by that, I mean the 20 hours I played that I didn't get very far in. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, but... Like, I look at Mark, and Mark in particular was the one who got probably the worst overhaul, but playing the PSP version, he's he's still got the same personality traits, he's just not as uh, offensive, let's say. But, I mean, the story itself is kind of one of those, you know, like even some of the later Persona games, you know, you're searching for the truth. Pers- Except the truth in this game is like, by the way, there's this guy... And he kind of want to manipulate. He kind of wants to manipulate the personas for evil deeds, and he's kind of a tool, and kind of makes no sense in any of his reasoning. Um, um, and you, and he kind of just that remakes reality, and he's plugged a comatose girl into it, and it's somehow working off of her. And I remember yep. that way back. Yeah, that, way. That, and you kind of look at that, and you're just like, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Some things that make sense in the Japanese anime, sure, okay, let's all pretend this is logically consistently. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm treating it, because now that I've actually seen more of the story, I'm just kind of like, I kind of love it because it it's kind of ridiculous and kind of doesn't have the sort of consistency that I'm used to from 3 and 4. Like, okay. th- this one comes across a little bit more batshit than those two. And I kind of I love it for it. Because it's like, like it's like the example with Mark. It's like, how did this kid get all these guns? I guess I'm gonna roll with it. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, why is Nanjiro such a dick to everybody? The game That's... hasn't told me this, but um, I think he's a I think dick some to of everybody. That, I mean, it's like um, something you've seen a lot of game, a lot of anime and games more recently is um, like tropism, where all the characters have to fit into a certain character style. Yep. And pers- I think Persona was one of the first games to really go with I that. Would say, this one, there of the ones... Of you don't even get a, to see a lot of their development. They're just, just they're from there. their design and the way they speak in Japanese, especially. Oh, boy. Like they were created to be slotted into a particular um, persona. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's in- definitely interesting, I would say. Like, I mean, I kind of wish I knew Japanese and could kind of see what you're saying. I mean, I definitely get the sense in English from the localization. It's just, it's funny to now be going, like, that was the first Persona game I played was Revelations. And I never bothered to touch the series until someone at my EB was like, you know what, try three. Three's actually a really good game. I was like, Revelations Persona made me cross streets at crosswalks. I don't want to play that. Right? So, and then when I played 3, I was like, okay, you know what? I actually am missing out. This series is actually pretty awesome. It's just... Revelations is just such wait, a... Wait, wait, wait. ...special, archaic mess. You're, that... you're confusing me here. Y- y'all criticize the story because it, it requires such a suspension of logic, but then when there's realistic things in, like, crosswalks, oh, you're boohooing it. Don't you think you're being a little overly critical here? Phil, Phil, city has been overrun by demons. Uh-huh. Nobody's driving in cars, and there are no, and all the police officers are now zombies. So there's nobody to try and stop you from jaywalking, and yet you still can't. So, so wait, wait, wait. So you're telling you're telling me that just because a cop isn't there, just gonna start breaking all the laws of the land? I mean, what kind of chaotic people are you? I'm sorry. It's just one of those bizarre things where Baker is 100 percent right. It's like the world's gone to shit, and I'm sorry. 
why do I still have to cross at the crosswalk? And why does the game prompt me that I'm on the wrong side to cross at the crosswalk? Oh, it's teaching our audience to be safe. Are there any are there any stores with no one inside that you can loot? No, but, it's funny. It's the stores still function like nobody died. No one died. <laughs> like everybody's still like perfectly cheerful and Japanese and like, oh my god, you should come buy stuff at my store. And meanwhile, you're just kind of like, but but everybody else is like zombies or demons or zombie demons or gingerbread men, and yet you're fine. Especially pharmacy man, he looks good. <laughs> he looks like the world has not affected him in the slightest. I think that's because he's sampling some of his wares. <laughs> Oh, goodness either, That's a perk of the job. Either that he, or he slipped them into the town's water supply, and that helps explain a few things. If that is the real reason, that's kind of amazing. Just saying. I, I would not be surprised with anything in the series. But, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been ragging on Persona 1. I mean, and I don't know about you, Baker, but I, I do like the game a lot, surprisingly. Well, it, it's, I mean, it's a... It's, it's expansive, it's it can be interesting. It, it's a bit of a brain. Um, what is the right word here? Okay, no cuss words here. Um, it just. It's I weird. cuss all the time. You can cuss too. Oh, but not on the air. Sorry. I just said shit twice. I think yep. you're fine. Hey, I, I also teach kindergartners. I try not. To, I try to avoid. I know you're a good man. You teach kindergartens. I and teach you could have used kids. guano for one of them. Yeah, but I was going for a verb. Guano to guano. I think that should be a verb. Hi, guano today. I teach high school children. I like to remind them every so often that, you know, swearing is a necessity in life. Because sometimes it's just the right word at the right time. school English teacher, she cussed like a sailor whenever he did that. She also also threatened us with a ruler if we we, uh, imitated her. Oh boy. Yeah, I'd be afraid of her. Oh yeah, she was like four foot ten. Yeah, I'd be afraid of her. Yep, very and I'm, afraid. And I'm, and I'm five feet myself, so... That's the size of my aunt, and yes, I would be afraid of her. I've heard of the way she got divorced. It was quite impressive. But, but that's not a story for now. Okay. But yeah, in the story, you also meet this guy named Philemon, and he's like a butterfly man, and he's oh, golden. That's, that's part of the old Chinese story about the philosopher who dreamed he was a butterfly and all that, and how it was so realistic in his dream that when he woke up, he really wasn't sure if he was actually a guy or the butterfly dreaming about being the guy. It's so pretty, though. Yep. Like, every uh, time I see the bit about the butterfly, I'm just like, I love it. It's so shiny. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm still trying to figure out why they dropped Philemon from the series, because he was a major figure in the first game. He was connected to the second two games. And, and all of a sudden, in three and four, he's non-existent. And he had a major role in the manga that was connected to the first two. I think if I, I'm trying to remember there there was a a Persona manga, not a Persona manga, but a Shimagami Tensei manga, and he he had a bizarre cameo in the one that I read that actually came out in English. Really, um, yeah. I've got three volume Persona manga on my shelf back there, um, Persona in a substantia, and it actually has much better story than the first game. Some really I, want, cool I want a better story because, like I said, I love the first game in the sense that it's batshit. But there's part of me that's sometimes also going, "I don't get it. I don't get it, and I don't get it." Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's creepy gingerbread house. That's amazing. Persona. I, I, I just I was very sad about Philemon not coming back because I just thought Philemon was pretty interesting. Um, and mm. now again, now that I'm playing it on PSP and I'm seeing his role, it's definitely a lot more fascinating and. Yeah. 
don't like, know. Just he he just seems so neglected. I mean, Philemon is was he's sort of the the positive principle. I mean, he's the one who's helping the persona to manifest, even at least in the manga, and um, um, he's like representing all the positive sides of humanity, the things that he believes are. I mean, the things that will help us survive in sanity. Mm-hmm. And working against the opposite principle, which is what's inspiring crazy guys to try and distort the planet and turn it into well, a hellhole. in this game, it's Kandori, is it not? Yeah, Kandori, yeah. Like, right. you have a bunch of different characters in the game, but like Baker said, it they're, they're very much more caricatures than characters. Um, mm. Actually, it's funny because you have four permanent characters, and then your last slot is actually one where you can pick whoever you want based on except characters you meet. Except, except some your characters disappear after the prologue because of the second game in the game. Yes, which is, uh, I unfortunately have not had the chance to try, but it's it's in the PSP version. Um, so... It's on my PlayStation version, too. I keep meaning to go back and actually do it, but I never have. At some, at some point, I'll just do a review that's Revelations for Snow, Snow Queen. Which is and funny because <laughs> just for that, because once you get to the end of that, it is actually a game over. Um, well, you know, it it's funny because what you were saying because in the Japanese version it has the Snow Queen for Revelations, yeah. but in the American one it didn't. That's because I think that's because they ran out of time with the localization. Yep, um, that was one of the main things that happened. And then, funny enough, they put it back game. for the PSP one. So like, like, you can still access it with the Game Shark on the PlayStation version in America, and there are bits and pieces of translation all throughout it, but it's mostly scrambled. Oh, that is neat. But it's kind still playable, I mean, if you have a well, shark. And it's kind of funny, because with the Snow Queen quest, I mean, to trigger it, it's funny, like, if you just, like, I, I didn't, I haven't really been playing this game with a guide, it wasn't until I got much farther in that I finally started. But, mm-hmm. um, it's so easy to miss the actual plot point in the very beginning to access the Snow Queen quest. Yeah, it's like it's, it's so easy to just ignore it because you don't even know where it's starting, and the game doesn't really prompt you in a direction as to where it is, which like I kind of find fascinating. It's the Easter egg. It is, but there's me going like I would have loved to have done the Snow Queen quest because it actually sounds so much more interesting than the the Cybet quest. The thing is, um, the Snow Queen quest is basically a retread of Shin Megami Tensei If in many ways, where you have the high school pulled into hell or alternate dimension, and you have to go through the multiple towers or dungeons to try and bring it back. I mean, it plays out, um, from what I've seen, it plays out very similarly to If, in that way. Well, you said that it also ends in a game over, so it must not end very well. (laughs) No, no, I mean, it ends as in credits roll. Oh, okay. So it's an alternate ending. Yeah, it it supplants the entire main game. Well, and out of curiosity, isn't that actually considered the canon ending, too? Not that I know of, but... I've always wondered that, because... From what I understand with how the Cybeck plot ends, like, it just doesn't sound like it actually concludes everything. But again, I'm not I'm not at the ending, it's just based on what I've read. So I was wondering if the Snow Queen quest actually, like, ties everything up and... and no, it's... It probably makes more questions, it, if anything. It just goes off in an entirely different direction, because there's a... I mean, there's a, like, a manifest persona called the Snow Queen's Mask, and your homeroom teacher somehow gets a hold of it and accidentally puts it on and gets possessed. And then the Snow Queen pulls the entire high school out of existence. Um, mm-hmm. So for a good part of the game, when you walk up to the school and try to go in, you'll see it floating in a sphere of emptiness and says, okay, can't go in for some reason. Hmm. Okay, I'm 
I actually have patience, I may actually try it, but I think after I finish this, I'm going to have to have a break from uh, the Shin Megami Tensei series again for a little bit. And, and again, I was saying that there's a resemblance to Shin Megami Tensei If, and I think that's pretty deliberate because that was the game that introduced Personas, actually. Mm. Even oh, though I was, didn't know that. Oh, um, in that game, if the main character or the companion character died, they, um, they'd go all the way to the, basically to the River Styx and be given a choice, and if they went back, they would be given a, like, internal demon or persona, basically, that would help. Or, um, in the hero's case, it would change his stats, and in the companion's case, it would give them a different magic set. That is so nifty, actually. And, yeah, and that was, I think, the only game in the entire um, Megaton series to encourage occasional character death. Because if it just meant to get to try something else. Yeah, um, if you if you stayed alive long enough to build up this gauge on your Urzat's persona, then the next time you died, you'd be given a better one. Ooh. But if you died too many times in quick succession, you'd end up getting weaker ones, and you have to go back a couple levels to build up again. If only I knew Japanese. That sounds fascinating, actually. At the rate Atlas is remaking SMT stuff, if we'll probably get its chance across the ocean sooner or later. I know, they've already got a PlayStation and Game Boy Advance version of IF, which are both quite expensive, let me add. Um, or, never mind, I think the PlayStation version has gone down to like 30 bucks now, last I checked. It's still the pretty GBA good. The GBA one is probably close to 100 right? A bit over. Yeah, I remember looking at SMT1 on the GBA and it's outlandishly expensive. I really regret not picking that one up when the local Denkia store was unloading all of its Game Boy Advance games back in 2006. I mean, the, the other the one game I did pick up from that store at the time is now worth four times more than I paid for it. So. <laughs> Which one was that? It was the Game Boy Advance Atelier game. Ooh. Paid 50. Oh, I remember that. Is that the mm. one that came with the clack? Oh, no, that was the Game That's Boy That's the Gay Color one. Yeah. The Game Boy, the GB one, is that Anis? Yep. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. I can get this right. <laughs> but, um, it, it's. Persona is such a weird game, and I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way, Baker, in the sense that, like, a lot of the time, you know, like, especially with getting your fifth party member, like, I ended up taking Brown into my party by accident, because I just thought it was the right thing to do to save him. <laughs> and now he's been permanently a part of my party. Meanwhile, at the beginning of the game, you meet, like, Yukino, Eriko, Yuka, um, Ellie, and Reiji. I think Yukino is one of the ones who gets permanently sucked into the Snow Queen's quest, so you can't even... Ah, get... so you can't get her right away. But she, she... Ellie, for an example, you can go... And I think Ellie and Eriko is the same name. I'm confusing it. And then there was... But... Uh, what was it? Reiji? Was he the Reiji. one with the... And he's the pain in the butt one. Like, I looked into how to get him, because apparently mm-hmm. he's got the best stats of the bunch. He's also got the best negotiation skills. He's the only one who can negotiate with certain demons. Yeah, which I'm not happy about because yeah. Brown kind of sucks. And going back to if that you had multiple companion characters in that one too, and one of them was you had to turn down multiple other characters, and then there was a fourth one who you had to actually go through a new game plus to get. So there again, connections and style again. But it's now, just from kind of reading the hardcore gaming entry on this, I get the impression that at least the author of hardcore gaming thinks most of the characters in this game are really annoying. Is that your impression? They're caricatures. The caricature argument, yes. Like, to be honest, Mark is ridiculous. I I adore Mark because I think Mark is just dumb as a stick. Okay, like... Or what what is his Japanese name? Masao. 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 And he's just like, 
oh my god, I got guns, and oh my god, like, we should beat this person up. Meanwhile, you're just kind of like, why? I don't know why, you should just do it. And it's like, you're special. And Maki, mm -hmm. oh, I, that's the character actually of the bunch I can't stand. <laughs> Maki drives me crazy. In the game, crazy enough. Well, it's just, you know, Maki's behavior, like, I get it because she's parallel dimension Maki, not sick Maki in the hospital. It gets much, much crazier. <laughs> well, it's just weird. Like, she's... First off, she's got some of the crappiest negotiation skills. Mm -hmm. Crappiest. And then, to top it all off, like, she behaves like everything just is amazing! Or it's, oh my god, everything scares the crap out of me! It's like, consistency girlfriend. Have some consistency. And then you kind of look at, it's like, oh, we should be super nice to Maki because she's totally sick. Meanwhile, parallel Maki's like, I'm friggin' insane people. Like, she's the one, I'm sorry, you wouldn't want to be in a back alley with because she'd probably murder you. Because that's how cray she is. So she's prototype Yandere? Yes. <laughs> of, of the five characters I have, she's the cray cray one. She makes Mark look sane. And Mark has a crap load of guns. <laughs> well, Mark is like a proto is like the prototypical wannabe uh, Yankee Yakuza high school student. Who he's not he's... good at it. No, most of them aren't. He needs to be. He needs some lessons I, I, from Kazuma I, I, Kirio. I met some kids who wish they were that crazy. <laughs> and it's all it's all about the posturing. I mean. I mean, seriously, do you know how hard it is to get guns in this country? And yeah, he managed to get a hold of a punch. No, I'm like, I don't understand. And then, like I said, I have Brown, and Brown also follows, like, he's the same stereotype as Masao. He's Brown? also a Yakuza that, kid, but he's actually... Hidehiko? Um, I, I, I don't know his Japanese name. His name is Brown it, in the English version. Does he have glasses he has goggles that are on his, on his head. forehead? Yeah, okay, he has goggles. goggles. Yep. Um, Apparently his actually, Japanese name is Hidehiko. Well, he actually is gangsta gangsta. He's not very good at it, but he's more of a gangster than Mark is. Yeah, they're um, both key type. Well, and it's funny, because actually, one thing I do like actually about having Brown in my party is you do get actual scenes where the two of them bicker a lot about who's more gangster, which is pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, so, in, in one respect, I don't regret having him, him in my party, it's just, I really wanted Eriko. Ellie, like, I really wanted her because she's like the Mitsuru. And I like Mitsuru. I'd rather have Mitsuru. Do you have Yuka? Uh, no. I uh, I had to turn Yuka down in the quest where you go back to the demonic high school. Because she's like, oh my god, like, demonic high school! And I'm like, I got brown in my party, girlfriend. You can't come. <laughs> Like, you don't even get to, like, offer to take her or anything. You just sort of help her out. And then she's like, okay, cool. I gotta, I'm gonna go deal with, like, my persona. And, like, I'll be cool. Don't worry about me. And you're just kind of like, girlfriend, you can die. <laughs> <laughs> and then sure enough, after Demonic High School, everybody dies. Except for Reiji. Reiji appeared, like, you know, in the dungeon that I'm in. Or, like, mm -hmm. just, just does that end, like... I did the Haunted Mansion today, and I was laughing because there's Reiji. He's the only one that lived. <laughs> and I'm like, how did you survive? You must be so much more kick-ass than you let on, mister. Like, you're Dreamboat. Why is everybody else so dumb? You're so smart. 
I was just talking about something, like, Scott's looking at me like, yeah. what are you even talking about? Like, my like, he survived! He's amazing! There are reasons, and you will find out these reasons if you haven't gotten to the end game yet. So. No, I'm not quite there. Like I said, I'm in Kandori's dungeon, so if I was playing for the bad ending, this is where my game would technically end, but I put in all the awesome choices, so mm-hmm. I have two more dungeons to go. I have to go back to the Lost Forest and then deal with Pandora. Yep. So, so I have those two things left to do after I beat Kandori. And, um... Yeah, it's like the old Dilbert comic strip where the boss is saying, um... We're not doing bonuses this year, but we believe work is its own reward. Expect to be re- rewarded twice as much later. <laughs> that's how that the end. That's so re- true. That's how most of the Me- Mega Ten games seem to me towards the end, where okay, you're trying really hard to get the good ending, and your reward is two or three times as many bosses as the bad ending. Nice. It's and funny because if you get if you go for the bad ending, you have to fight a boss called Mr. Bear, and apparently Mr. Bear's a douche, <laughs> and that he's actually hard, which I think is kind of funny. I- I'm sort of thankful that the PSP version has like a beginner's mode, because I remember absolutely like ripping my hair out in the original version, because <laughs> negotiation is a huge deal in this game, and. Especially also in Innocence Sin as well. Um, and it's knowing the strategies for negotiation, the game is not very good at explaining it. Like, a lot of it is trial and error, and some people have good negotiation skills for certain types, and vice versa, but sometimes you don't always know if that skill's gonna work, because if two characters have the same skill, let's say, if one person does it, it might not actually work, but if the other character uses the same skill, you actually have a chance that it'll work. Sometimes it actually has to do with gender, too, which I find kind of funny. I mean, all the Megaton games have had interesting and quite often very random negotiation tactics, but Persona was was like the most unique one I can think of, just because every single character had a different... or had different abilities in it. Yeah, I think there's only a couple characters that have some similar ones. Like, I know Ellie and Nanjiro have a couple similar ones... Mark and the protagonist have two that are the same. And then Reiji has magic tricks, if I remember right. Aw, I wish I got Reiji now. Um, Like, I know Brown Brown uses... um, He heckles, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Uh, Maki basically does a lot of crying and lying. That's her negotiation tactic. Kid who would try to bribe demons with money and... Oh, that's Nanjuro. Yeah, that's not true. Um, Bribe actually is a really good skill. It actually works quite a bit. (laughs) Which I find really funny, because a lot of the demons are just like, you're bribing me! I should be offended by this, but I'm not. And then the ones who are, they, like, scream at you in the text. Like, I love the way the text is written during negotiation, because different demons have, like, for example, capitalization. Like, some of them just speak in all caps, some of them speak in stilted caps. Some of them speak with some lowercase, some uppercase. Yeah, um, that's the best they could do with the Japanese, um, ver- or to translate from the Japanese version. A lot of the demons in Japanese will speak with lots of kanji and then all here um, katakana, just to show that their pronunciation is really weird. Yeah, that's kind so, of interesting. So it's it's like um, the the best I can think of for voice acting would be like a, 
actually in Finding Nemo when that, that one fish was trying to talk to the whales. Oh, I'm speaking but, whale! Yeah. So imagine most of the demons are actually talking like that whenever you see the weird... Uh, Dory, you don't yeah. speak whale! Yes, I do. It's like, hey, you don't speak demon! Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I appreciate the efforts they put in because at least they're they're entertaining. Um, my favorite negotiation tactic, I'm sorry, is Mark's sexy dance because I love it because it right it actually says in the localization it says Mark uses his smooth moves and if you don't do it on a female demon, they're just like, are you hitting on me? Because if you're hitting on me, I'm gonna kill you. Right, where the female demons are like, oh my god, you're, you're so stupid, what are you doing? Very seldom does sexy dance work. But I love when it does, because like you always get this really entertaining bit of dialogue. Like that, That's probably one of my favorites. My other one is the protagonist sings. So sometimes, like, if you hit sing, people will be like, oh, your voice is so beautiful, keep singing, like, sing me another note. And uh, some of them are like, wow, you're so off-key that you need to, like, get your shit together. And you're just kind of like, whoa, that's some brutal honesty. Gotta love the demons, man. They're they're honest. You know, some of them are like, I want a life stone. Here, I gave you life stone. I love you now. Let's be best friends. I give you a spell card. And sometimes they're just like, I want, you know, a life stone and some money and your life. And by the way, did I mention, like, I still hate you right now, but I took all those things from you? Yeah. I'm like, oh, negotiation. Yeah, that part never changes between the negative games. It's always a fun time negotiating. I do. I love the negotiation. As much as I get frustrated sometimes because, you know, you'll think one tactic will work once and then it doesn't work again. It's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, because they also, I think they have some sort of random generator for to determine a monster's personality on top of whatever yeah. whatever racial characteristics they would have for negotiation. Well, it's like certain characters might say um, like they have their, their, their racial types which are things like brood, jockey, um, mm -hmm. fairy but then they'll have the personality traits where it might say like this one's gloomy and timid or this one is haughty and um, obnoxious and, right? they, or, and they're not always consistent within the same race no and that's the funny part is you could have four of the same kind of demon but some might have more personality traits than others. Uh, or sometimes there's a subtraction of it. So depending on which one you pick, you know, it changes it up. Mm -hmm. Which is really neat. But again, also kind of frustrating when you're just trying to get crap done. <laughs> yep. So, shall we go into some of the other changes that Persona made to the basic Megaton style? We can do that. Yeah, you're probably going to be better at this than I am, but... But I mean, like, Persona was literally the first Mega Ten game to have more than two humans, or more than three humans in the party. I mean, some of the older Shin Megami Tensei games had up to three or four people in the party for a very short period of time before they all got scattered or killed or whatever. But Persona was the first one to actually have an all-human party. So. It's, it's definitely interesting, I would say, just because... I mean, I haven't really played a lot of the Japanese ones, but, you know, even just playing um, one like Strange Journey. In Strange mm -hmm. Journey, you're alone with demons, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I actually find 
that I kind of love the fact that it's all humans for this game. More mm-hmm. so just because um, the way that you build the personas is, is so different from like the, the two newer ones, like 3 and 4. Um, you know, in 3 and 4, you can stack your protagonist to have a bunch of personas, but your other party members can't, right? They're stuck to their one. Um, whereas in this game, everybody can have more than one persona, which is really nice. Like- I've got like a list of is that the same thing that happened in both parts of Persona Two? Uh yes and no. Um, Persona Two has a slightly different system, um, but it's unfortunately been a while since I've played Eternal Punishment, so uh, don't quote me on it. That I know or not. Do you know Baker? No, I actually haven't played the second two. I should okay. sometime. But I keep getting put off by price tags. It's funny, because, you know, if you had an American PlayStation account and a PSP... Actually, mm-hmm. no, you don't even need a PSP. If you have an American PlayStation account, you can get Eternal Punishment. Well, I probably can right now. I just... Um, like, I know I that one's cheap, and I know... I, I haven't done much download stuff with my PlayStation 3. The only the only download game I have is Manakimia 2, and that's because it came free with uh, Atelier Eschatology. Well, if you... If you do start getting into it, I mean, you can get on the standard hard drive that comes with. If you have the sixty, I had the sixty gig, I think, model or the forty. Oh, you have eight. So yeah, definitely. Um, um, I, I upgraded mine with a laptop hard drive, so now it has like I don't know five hundred gigs or something. Oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah, it's your friend. But even like I said, even with your little eight gigs, you can um, download Persona certainly. It, there's no reason why you can't get uh, at least eight. Eternal Punishment. 18 gig. Okay. Oh, 18, yeah. Like, um, there's, like, it's a pretty small file. I mean, I have um, Eternal Punishment on disc. Well, it was Michael a single Cunningham. disc, right? It's yeah, two. it was a single disc game. Is it? The second yeah, one? Yeah, a single CD can only hold up to 700 megabytes. I gotta look now, because it's actually, like, on my desk in my room. Because <laughs> I've been leaving it out, because I keep saying, I'm gonna go back to it, I'm gonna finish it, and then I'm like, nope. <laughs> Not right now. Not in the Don't mood. Don't you want to play Innocent like Sin now? So I plan to play Innocent what... Sin. I, I have it on PSP, so I plan to play it. And then I can go see Hitler and giggle a little bit. Um, <laughs> oh, this series can be so offensive when it wants to be. I love it for that reason. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, it's a neat series. Yeah. And the PSP version, like, I mean, it does a really good job of updating certain aspects but also still reminding gamers that it's still pretty friggin' archaic. Well, leaving the PSP aside for a moment, is there any reason that one should go back to the original version now? Hell no. Unless you want crosswalks, I say hell no. Okay, I think crosswalks are important. We need to teach our young people early on to be safe, even when there's no traffic around. It's that one time you think it's clear that some idiot comes out of the blue and hits you at 60 miles an hour. Just saying. Okay, I personally think that the Revelations version is not worth going back to unless you want to see a really hideous localization that is both offensive and typo-ridden. Hmm, typo-ridden. Um, I would not go back to that version. Also, just because the tweaks in the PSP version make life a hell of a lot easier. Well, that so sounds... I don't recommend it. That... Also, like I said, it took me 20 hours to find... Amberstand. ...in PlayStation. I said the F word, I'm so sorry. But it took me 20 hours, and I was very offended. <laughs> how, how is it that the second plot point in the game took me 20 hours? Why? Because the map was so big, and it does a terrible job of directing you. There, I called it I on I think we're yes. getting your frustration loud and clear. 
I'm just saying that that map is made of BS. Well, okay, let's let's go back to 1996 again. Compared to other RPGs on the PS1, how did it? It's still BS. <laughs> it's still BS. There are so many games okay. out there that did better maps. Sorry, Baker, I really interrupted you. Much worse games on the PlayStation One, so. Well, you know what? I'm glad because this was one of my worst ones that I played on the PlayStation One. I'm fortunate that there are some Japanese games. You know that are in Japanese. That I didn't get to play. They're probably worse. I mean, I know. I kind of feel you're. Well, I've I've heard that Beyond the Beyond is not particularly well regarded. Well, I'm glad I never <laughs> played that one. So I, I know with with Strange Jury, I've been you know impressed with how big some of those dungeons are. But it has a pretty decent mini map system. But even then, it can be frustrating sometimes, especially with the rooms with all the teleporters. Would you say this is more frustrating than some of those rooms? Strange Journey has one area that the developers needed to be shot for, and that was Sector E. Eridanus, yep. Eridanus. And the reason it, they needed to be shot was because it was so easy to get turned around in that area. I still haven't finished it because that area is such, just such a cluster mess. It's awful. It's, like, it's five times larger than any other sector, I think. Yeah, and for no good reason either, which is kind of funny. Is that the one, is that the one with the teleporters on the fourth floor? No, it's the one that no. has this garden at the bottom where the garden is actually four four quadrants that are each yeah. as big as some of the earlier sectors. Hmm. And then you have to go through all of these in order and then finally get to the tower in the middle and go up. Wow. Yeah, it's it's it was a pretty difficult one it, to navigate. It's large enough to actually be its own dungeon crawler game by itself. Nice. That's why I haven't gone back to that one. So that's where I will kind of give Revelations a bit of a pass because... Uh, Sector E in, in Strange Journey is one of the worst dungeons I've ever seen in a game. It's gorgeous looking. Mm -hmm. It's awful to navigate. I am pretty sure, like, I still have my piece of paper where I mapped things, and I still am lost. And the at least the encounter rate in that game is not BS compared to uh, Revelations. Yeah. But damn, that's that dungeon. <laughs> yeah. That dungeon makes me cry. It's a frequent problem with a lot of the PlayStation games. I mean, the PlayStation game I'm playing right now has almost as high an encounter rate. And, and, which, and which one's this that you're playing? Hamurai. And it also oh, has... Oh, yeah! It, it also has a friendship and trust system, which is based... Um, it, like, friendship goes up if you heal your allies and it can go down. has a chance of going down if they get hit no matter how lightly they get hit. So, um, at least for the first hour of any dungeon, all your character's trust and love is going down, 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 until you're finally leveled up enough that you can just eat up everything in three seconds. And then hopefully you'll be able to bring it back up. So, uh, Revelation Persona, better game than that one by the sounds of it. Oh, this was actually a very pretty game. The, set, the story is nice, makes more or less sense. The the combat system is somewhere between Grandia and Star Ocean. Oh, that could actually be neat. Which is interesting if it just weren't for the some of the foibles with the friendship system and the fact that there is a battle triggered every three steps. Ugh. Yeah. And a, um, some very high MP, useful but high MP spells and a paucity of, of MP recovering items. Yeah. It's also incredibly railroaded, so you can't always go back to shop. My favorite kind of game. So if you want a bad one, I'll, I'll send you Athea. 
Oh, jeez. No, oh. I remember that one. All right. This... I remember because I was a horrible person who was like, what's this one about? And you were like, I have it. <laughs> and we were like, I, I didn't know choice. this was bad PlayStation. Was about... Let's talk about yeah. Beyond the Beyond oh, now. No, no. I think we, no, no, I, it's just, I think we jumped I, the shark. for. <laughs> look, no, no. I'm just saying I take the blame 100% for making Baker play Atia. Okay? I do. Because that was me going, it looks really pretty. And he's like, it's awful, Sam. <laughs> and me going, I'm sorry. <laughs> What we're saying here is that, yeah, we can we can whine, we can whinge and complain about Persona all we want, but there are worse games out there. There are worse. There, there are even prettier worse games out there. Yep. Persona 1's not exactly nice to look at. Yeah. So, for all of its annoyances, it does have redeeming qualities. It's definitely one of the most, one of the most interesting games to come out of its generation. It has some very nice alterations to the Mega 10 format that some of which were continued on, some of which died with it, unfortunately. It's just the entire package could have been I don't know, let's stand some refinement. I, I appreciate its uniqueness, and I think that the PSP version, some of the, the tweaks they made mm-hmm. uh, probably were in the right direction. For example, the map got a huge overhaul, so now it's really easy. In, instead of having these giant, you know, sectors um, in Revelations. The, because on the PSP everything's scaled down, <laughs> you have these um, these really nice scaled down sectors so you can see everything that's on the map. Yes, you still get encounters on the map, but at least they're a lot more consistent. Um, mm-hmm. You never feel like you're entirely lost on the maps in the PSP version, just because, like I said, you can you can visualize everything, so you can see. Okay, I I, I only have to go a couple steps before I get to this area that I need to go to. Um, it's a it's a lot harder to get lost in this version, I would say. Um, one of the other tweaks they did was they did scale down the encounter rate. I kind of wish they had scaled it down a little bit more because it's still pretty bad. Is it as bad as Revelations? No. Is it bad? Yes. Um, the localization is definitely better. Like, you can tell they overhauled it for this version. Because, like, you know, or like, Mark's not racist anymore. Or, like, started again from the bottom up. Yeah. And kept, kept a few funny lines in just for nostalgia's sake. Yep. Well, this, like sexy would, dance. Yeah. I mean, that would be like, um, like the DS... Final Fantasy IV, where they had to completely redo the translation because of the text box issues, and they kept a few lines in because the fans would like them. So, okay. oh, I, you spoony bard! Like, I like those tweaks on the game for the most part, especially the map. The map has been the one that's just made me incredibly happy. Um, I just like being able to see everything. Um, one thing I also really loved is like they got rid of like the celebrity speech style, which. Um, that was what was really bad about the original localization. Like, Mark came across really racist, and like some of the other characters came across way too, like pop culturey, stereotypey. Um, like in the vein of working designs, but possibly more questionable. <laughs> like Mark's dialogue, I, I, I mean, I don't care what anyone says. Some of his was really, really bad. And, I mean, it didn't help that they went and were like, we're going to make him a black man now. Well, it's like, hey, okay, Word up. but don't make him a black man. That's super offensive, because black people aren't like that. Like, they went for the stereotype of how, I guess, people perceive gangsta gangsta black people, which I'm like, I have lots of black friends. They don't behave that way. But but thank you for the gangsta gangsta sup sup. Like, I, I guess it's entertaining. 
Uh, I'm a little offended. You know, a little. Because I don't know too many people who go gangster gangster what. Um, but Mark does. A lot. At least in this version, like, when he does gangsta gangsta what, it's at least a little bit more consistent and a little less offensive. I mean, there's a part of me that does secretly wish they had kept him black in the PSP version. <laughs> just, just because... <laughs> That's how I remember him. I'm sure that's how other people remember him. On the other hand, it's like, eh, he's, he's, he's supposed to be Japanese. Like, we should make him Japanese. Mind you, none of these characters look Japanese. They all look white. <laughs> like, other than the protagonist, he's the only one that looks kind of Japanese. The rest of my party, white people. <laughs> hey, if Yukino does not get sucked up into the, the Snow Queen alternate sucking way of the high school, what kind of a character is she? Uh, she would be the kind of Cinderella Ice Queen her, kind of herself. She's, She's the Ice Queen character because when you actually get to play with her for the whole two battles at the very beginning of the game, she's like, "Bitch, please!" Every five minutes, and you're just kind of like, "Okay, girlfriend, why are we doing the bitch please when we don't really have a good reason for it?" She's, um, from what I remember of her in the Japanese version, she's kind of the student council president subtype. The so she's Mitsuru. Pretty much, yeah. She's a prototype for Mitsuru without all the, without all the deeper character development, because she doesn't have enough time for that. Mitsuru but yeah, had is. baggage, but it was wonderful baggage, and her baggage like, was ten times more interesting than stupid Yukari and Fuka. There, yeah. I said it, Adrian. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to this, I don't care what you think. Fuka's lame. Actually, Fuka's adorable. Who am I kidding? <laughs> she just can't cook. But, she just yeah, can't cook, so, but she can make electronics. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sam, you did not get Eriko on your team. And I did not. I got Brown or Hidek. You, you, you know, can't join you past the first no. section. Aww. No, because isn't she... She, she's she, is, she is a major part of the Snow Queen's um, side story, as far as I know. But she does not... I mean... You can't get her. She past the beginning. You know, she... um, You never get a chance to talk to her after those first two battles. Like, and then Ayas, um, Ayase... She's the one you meet in the demonic high school with Reiji. So you can have the choice between Reiji if you did all of his steps to get him, or you can pick her right up if you didn't take Brown from the uh, from the police station, or Ellie from the subway, which I'm going to throw it out there. Why do you have to do the subway like six times? Because somebody decided that it would make a good trans transit point, and... They'd... Even though it's like and nobody... crappily done, and nobody to accurately is... simulate the thrill of uh, modern consumer transit. Like I'm throwing it out there, the like, subway it's... is not only one of the most boring dungeons, but the fact that you have to do it six times is a little ridiculous. <laughs> and maybe I've just lost patience in video games over the years. But seriously, six times—that's as bad as the one dungeon in Artanelico where they make you go back like three times. And you're just kind of like, this dungeon's big and crappy and has no consistency whatsoever. See, I have a thing about pacing. Poor pacing drives me up this the wall. Game <laughs> this, this game has special pacing, because when it's on, it's really good. And when it's off, it's really bad. Welcome but, to I, make but you know what? Like I said, I guess I'm spoiled, because like I said, I actually finished 3 and 4 before I played this one. Yeah, that, and those that games was... have excellent pacing. Well, for the beginning is pretty brutal, slow, but it's like two hours until the first battle. I remember that. But, but um... once it's on, it's on and it's really good. 
and the same with three. And you know what? Even Digital Devil Saga one and two, the pacing in those games are really good. They're really consistent. Whereas in Persona One, uh, I would definitely say the pacing's got a lot of problems in terms of one minute like it's really up, and the next minute it's really down. And there's just no consistency in it. And it, I guess it doesn't help with the encounter rate in the game either. That the pacing's just such a mess. Because I don't even think the pacing was as bad from what I played of uh, Eternal Punishment. Eternal Punishment felt very consistent from what I did play. It's just the dungeons are long and a little bit, like, there's a lot more thought put into them. It's not just go through the dungeon. Sometimes there's tricks and traps. Um, steps that you have to, you know, put through to make sure you found everything. Buttons to push to ensure you didn't fall in a pit. <laughs> Those sort of things. Yeah, Whereas here, yeah. these are go through the dungeon. You're at the end of the dungeon. Here's your plot point. So we can definitely see where Atlas learned things from Revelations Persona. Absolutely, and you know, just after, um, I mean, even games just after it, with, um, okay, so the other games that were in the same basic generation, the Devil Summoner games, also really improved on that. There's there is a lot to like about this game, but I feel for me personally, like, am I happy? I've I've played it, yes, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm going to finish it because I really do want to see it to the end and see, um, the actual true ending, especially because I'm on the path for it. So I'd kind of like to see it. I put the time in. Successful enough as a game if you actually want to get to the end, even if you're struggling. Yeah, it it's just one of those games you where know, the intrigue is there, and to me. If a game has enough intrigue, I'm willing to push through it just to see where it goes. You know, we've brought up the encounter rate many times, but we haven't actually said what the fighting itself is like. It's just turn-based, hey, you summon your persona. Hey, there's skills. You want to use some Bufudine on the bitch? Use some Bufudine on the bitch. Like, it's, it's, I, hear, I hear in the it, original, if your characters we're not in, directly in front of something when they're armed with a physical weapon, then they can't do anything that turn? They can't, no, they they, they can and they can't, again, it depends. If they're using a gun, they have better range in terms of what they can hit. If they're using their physical weapon, no, they gotta be in the right spot to sort of um, get the full effect of it, of the actual, uh, of the actual weapon. One thing that's kind of neat about the battle system, though, and I didn't notice this right away, but uh, experience is actually awarded based on who does the most in battle, so if your character does, like, the most murder damage, uh, they get higher experience than some of the other characters, which I think is kind of neat, because some of my characters, their levels are all over the place because of this. Like, Mark, he's at level 37 right now, and my protagonist is only at level 33, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. <laughs> like, I'm actually taking the time to do a little bit of grinding just to kind of get everybody as on par as I can get them. But it's just kind of funny that with the way they've set the experience up that, like I said, Mark dies all the time. So I kind of laugh that he still gets the most experience, even though he dies. <laughs> because he still also, when he's alive, murders the most things. <laughs> like, you don't get experience for negotiation unless the demon gives you experience. Right? So basically your experience boils down to how well you do in battle, and if your character is doing crap in battle, they don't get a lot of experience. Right? And your options are basically you can either fight, con you can contact them, so negotiation, or you analyze them. 
And then you have an auto battle, which don't ever use because auto battle in this game is insta death. I did that once just that out of bad. curiosity, and everybody died. <laughs> and I had to start that point over again, and I was very unhappy. <laughs> but even with the fighting, like, it's turn-based, everybody takes a turn, you can have up to three Persona, right? Um, which, when you go to the Velvet Room and meet Igor, who is awesome and has the best nose ever, um, you, you can, as you gain spell cards through negotiation, build new Personas. And they'll, actually, the Personas are listed as best, good, and bad, depending on the character you tag them with. Uh, some of them, if they're just bad, they're just bad for all the characters. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, it's bad for this character, but it's okay for this character. So you, you do have to play a little bit in terms of uh, what works and what doesn't. So there's there's a lot of experimentation there that's worth taking advantage of, as long as you have the spell cards to do it. I don't know if you have anything to add, Baker. <laughs> mm. Just that I like Igor. I love Igor. <laughs> Isn't he the best? I and I'm not surprised that he's the only consistent thing across the entire five games, one, ma one manga, and one anime of the series. Well, you know, you gotta love the man who says, Welcome to the Velvet Room! Um, mm -hmm. And then has a giant big nose and tells you to fuse things. Actually, I do love the fusion animation in this game, mm -hmm. because it's a giant tent, and it looks like the personas are like making out in the giant tent, and the giant tent's going all over the place. And it's like, oh, we made you a pretty card now! And it's just like, that's so filthy, Persona. I love you. And also, doesn't he have one of those really boxy cell phones that he uses? Yes, he has a boxy cell phone. And it's so funny. Like, I think Igor gets charming as the games go on. Like, I really adored him in 3 and 4. Just because when you get some of the extra dialogue that he has, he's got so much more personality than what you see here in, in 1. And I get it, like, again, he's his own little caricature as well, but he's been consistent through all the games, and you, you definitely actually see that he's a real character as they go on. He's just a lot of fun. Like, he can be really sassy when he wants to be, which I adore. Let's see. Apparently the music was completely altered for the PSP. Was it memorable yeah. in either rendition? Um, so Shoji Meguro totally redid all the tracks in uh, Persona PSP. Um, some of the tracks actually sound the same, just more updated. Um, my particular favorite being the Pharmacy theme song. Um, it sounds a lot better in the PSP version. Whereas, like, if you can find it on YouTube, uh, Dale North from Destructoid um, totally created an actual lyrical version to the original uh, Revelations pharmacy theme song, which is so much better than just the actual pharmacy theme song. Uh, the music's really good, though. Like, um, even in... I remember even in Revelations it was good, but um, I've definitely kept the music on um, playing it this time around, just because um, a lot of the battle themes are, are really, really catchy. And there's no voice acting, right? None. Yeah. Okay. Probably for the better. Um, I mean, one of the other that things vintage, is they... yeah. <laughs> well, they did change um, a lot of the um, cutscenes that you sometimes get. Um, they're now more cell-shaded. And one thing that they added in the PSP version that the original didn't have was there's an actual... Uh, dif you can choose your own difficulty, which is really nice. Um, I mean, the only options are beginner, normal, and hard. But to be honest, um, I'm okay with that just because 
Persona is one of those series where, you know what, yeah, I can beat three and four on hard, but the first game, I don't even want to know what it's like on hard. <laughs> I don't. I have no desire to to figure out how awful some of these bosses are on hard. And it's not like the bosses are difficult. They just, they have their own tricks of the trade where, it, again, it's more experimentation in figuring out what they're weak to and what they aren't. Whereas in 3 and 4, you're fortunate enough you have someone who can tell you, they can analyze for you what the weaknesses are, and then you have like, you know, Rise and, and Fuka telling you, hey, like, it's weak to Augie skills. Use your Augie skills. And you're just like, I'll burn you. In this game, it's it's a lot more trial and error. But I'm okay with that. I don't mind a little bit of trial and error. I just feel a little spoiled from 3 and 4. And how long have you spent on the PSP one to get to the point where you could end it badly if you wanted to? Um, It has taken me 35 hours. Okay. Um, A lot of people on how to beat dot com say you can probably beat the game in 29. I call BS on them unless they really know what they're doing because um, like I said, I'm 35 hours and while this could be the final dungeon in the uh, bad ending, like I said, I'm not playing for the bad ending, I'm playing for the true ending so I know I'm going to be at least close to 50 when I'm done. Which is okay by me. Because I haven't played a Persona game in a while. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry, but like Persona 3 and 4, what I do love about them is those games can be 70 hours. They don't feel like 70 hours. This one, actually, you can feel the weight of the time. So I'm kind of happy they fixed that for 3 and 4. You're asking yourself, are we there yet? I, I actually am at that stage because Kandori is basically like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm an evil villain. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like... You're so funny. You're so bad at what you're doing. I'm like, can we just get this over with where I come and I kick your ass and then I go on with my life? Because ah. I'm going to do it. <laughs> do we know what Kandori's persona is? I don't. I want to be surprised, but what is it? You can tell me. If, I remember, cool? I, if I remember right, it's Nyarlathotep. Oh, that's neat. Yes. <laughs> that's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah. Actually, I kind of love some of the personas Black that... Self, yep. Yeah. I like some of the starter personas that uh, some of the characters come with. Like, Mark has uh, got Ogun, which mm. you don't see very often in the games anymore. Oh. Actually, it's oh, funny. He's, Ogun's come back in, like... Um, I, going soon. Yeah. Uh, he's come back in, like, uh, Devil Survivor, I've noticed, but not some of the other games, so... It's kind of neat. You see some of the older personas from Persona 1 appearing in, like, some of the spin-offs. It's, it, it's interesting. It's good, in that sense. Do you have any more questions? No, but I need to get, get going soon. Yeah. Oh, I miss you, Baker. Don't leave me. Go ahead and take take a break, and we'll be right back in just a few moments.
have returned ready to wrap this up with the final lap. This is part of the show where we kind of read your comments, do kitchen sink stuff, and um, just talk about whatever is on our mind before we hang it up. We don't have any commentary from last show because we just recorded it two days ago. And I still haven't edited it, put it together, much less asked me to post it. So, yeah, maybe we'll read those on the next show. <laughs> But our next show is number 107, Tactical Stars of Destiny. We're going to be talking about Suikoden 4 and Suikoden Tactics. So uh, we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks. Mr. Uh, Miki, do you have anything you want to share with the audience since, you know, two days ago? I think Agarest War has pulled off an amazing feat in that it's second generation, which I suppose is worthy of me flying over to Japan and slapping the people at Idea Factory repeatedly. I have... In preparation for our next episode, been playing Suikoden Tactics, I am not floored and agog at the wonders that I'm experiencing, but it's a fun tactical game, well well integrated into the Suikoden universe. Um, I just did a rush of five Vincent Price movies in a row. Vincent Price was awesome. Yeah. That's just... That's just flat fact. Vincent Price is awesome. Of course. That doesn't mean even he could sur- could sur- could uh, surmount Roger Corman's amazing ability to be a tedious bore as a director all the time, but you can't have everything. And I'll give a shout out to one horror movie that I I don't even I'm not even sure how I felt about it, but it was interesting. Horror Express, in which Christopher Lee has unearthed something in the mountains of western China and he's taking it back on the Siberian Express and Peter Cushing is on the train with him and they're actually on the same side for once because that something is not fossil it, it's two million years old and it's alive and it glows with red eyes and fries people's brains somehow and sucks the information out of them and it's actually an alien hmm. but, and there's a guest stint with Kelly Savalas near the end that is completely jarring in tone but it's interesting nevertheless so if you've never heard though as a friend of mine said it's not a good title and you know he's kind of right but i don't mind because christopher lee and peter cushing are awesome that's just flat back too i'm so sorry my answer died for a minute i apologize you didn't get to hear me praise christopher lee and peter cushing oh well i'll survive i don't know how but i will i don't know how in any case hmm but i'm done yeah, well, you miss Marshmallow. Anything for the group tonight? Um, I'm currently working my way through, obviously, Persona PSP, so I could talk about it tonight. Uh, I've also been working on for review, and I've been really slow, and Scott's probably farther than me. Um, I've been working my way through Deus Ex Human Revolution on Wii U, so mm. that's going to be interesting. Hopefully I'll have a review before the end of the month, but I'm not making any promises because I kind of played the game recently on Xbox, and I'm trying my best to psych myself up to... Now that that's supposed to be an enhanced version, right? Enhanced. It's supposed to be an enhanced version. It kind of is and isn't. Um, and when one of us gets to it, um, you know, we'll go into more specifics. It's it's definitely got some problems in terms of the Wii U gamepad parts, um, but it's still a really good game, and I I quite enjoy it. And then other than that, I'm working on a special feature related to backlogging, um, which. Hopefully we'll hit at the middle of December because I'm still obviously working through a couple more games that I want to get on there. Uh, but, you know, I only have so much gaming time in the week, so we'll see how that goes. Mm. But I'm going to try. And then other than that, I mean, I've just been busy taking care of my mom and working and going to school and being a librarian. And being a librarian is kind of cool. Yeah. Especially like, well, I've, I've been working on reviewing a, li- a lot. Of- well, I've been, I, um, I am very fortunate in that I get a lot of 
18 books in advance because I'm currently a practicing library student. Uh, and because my specialty is moving towards being a youth librarian, I get a lot of really cool stuff, you know, way before it comes out. And I've been just practicing just you know, trying to make nice units and stuff for them for classes that classes can use. And it's a very interesting experience. With, uh, definitely love it. So with the, um, the the up and coming of tablets and electronic ebooks and stuff like that, are they, you know, how are, how are our libraries a little concerned about that? How are they handling that? They're not. They're embracing the digital age. It's kind of uh, fascinating, um, mostly because there's still an insane demand for print books. That's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is they're adopting to ebook formats for their patrons too. So what they'll do is I they'll have buy heard out that licenses. libraries. I've heard that they have trouble with some ebook publishers getting copies at all. And if they do, then they're under considerable restrictions. It, it's it depends on the publisher. It always depends on the publisher, and then there is restrictions based on the number of licenses in which a library can purchase for their library. Um, for example. In my library, the one next to my house, certain books only have maybe three digital licenses, but might have 20 physical copies in the library. Yeah. And that's just due to the type of format, because for example, my library doesn't support Kindle. It'll do EPUB, so if you have a Kobo, it's great. But if you have a Kindle like I do... Uh, Kobo is bigger in Canada than the Kindle is, Uh so take that for what you will, because it's also bigger in the UK, too. Um, I thought Amazon was big everywhere. Oh, well, no, in Canada, actually, Kobo has beaten it out every year for um, like awards and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny in Canada that it's a bigger product. I actually don't like the Kobo, so I mean, I just, I, I mean, can't even say I've really. I think I heard of it once or twice. I mean, it's practically a non-name here in the U.S. as far as I know, but no, I could be wrong. Everybody either has a Nook or a Kindle. Yeah, and even the right. Nook is struggling. Well, yeah, and the thing is, it's funny, because the Kobo is a specific to uh, Indigo Chapters in Canada, and it's the only book chain that exists in Canada. Mm. So there's the monopoly. Now, I will say, for those of you who are into e-reading and such, you may not know, you may or may not know this, but I have two Nooks, and the reason why, even though I, we also have a Kindle, um, plus we have, of course, the, you know all the apps on the, the pads, but on the iPads, but I, I the reason why I keep those two Nooks is because they can read the EPUBs, natively without any issues and amazon so protective heaven forbid they let you just you know move an epub over and read it on your kindle yeah that's um pain in the butt that's a really big issue with a lot of the the e-readers and that's why in canada a lot of people love the kobo is because the kobo um is very open in terms of file formats Mm -hmm. that you can have there you go um and again that's why a lot of libraries when they're using uh programs like overdrive it's a lot it's a lot easier to deal with epub and uh mobi than it is to deal with the Amazon-specific files. So that's why a lot of libraries don't do the Amazon files in Ontario, at least, from what I understand. Um, it's also easier for if you decide that you want to put audiobooks um, onto any one of your devices. Like, OverDrive is amazing. It's a really versatile system that they've got going. Well, I think... Uh... I like it. So, uh, it sounds like I'm kind of sad that I have a Kindle, so in that sense. Yeah, it sounds like it's doing better up there. I know um, uh, Shirley tried to do that OverDrive program on the iPads and stuff with our local library, and it took a while to kind of get it to work. And um, and then once you got it to work, then we ran to that other issue, as you mentioned before, of limited virtual books that they can check out, and she put put on a waiting yeah. list, and you wait a very yeah, long time. That's one of the, the new issues that a lot of libraries are facing. So um, I know this is not library cast, but that's still why a lot of libraries 
guys will go and buy. It's the final lap. We get to talk whatever we want about. Awesome. If they don't like it, Uh, hey, you can stop the recording right now, guys, and just... You know, like, admittedly, one thing, as much as people, like, make fun of Twilight and whatnot, people don't realize what Twilight did for the YA industry, Mm -hmm. because now it's so much easier to get books on a shelf. It's so much easier to get the exposure they need at libraries. And to be honest... There's a lot of really good stuff coming out of there. That's why, I mean, I'm finding myself more and more supportive of the genre. Even, yes, there's the popular stuff that I get forced to read through review. And yes, some of it, I'm just kind of like, this is crap and I don't like it. But every so often I get tossed a really good bone. And it's like, you know, as a librarian, I want to pump it. I want to show everybody why it's, are, are you, why this might be something to look out are for. Are you talking about in the vampire subgenre? No, or? no, no. Um, I actually don't really do the vampire stuff. I'm not really interested in paranormal um, I read like I love paranormal in the sense of like if it's something like urban fantasy like October Day uh, by Shawnee McGuire or um, Jim Butcher's uh, Dresden Files. If it's done that way, I love it. But in YA, they haven't quite figured that out yet, like how to make really fun and accessible urban fantasy. They haven't really figured it out yet because they're still living on dystopias are awesome. Um, but what I will say about YA that adult books really suck at doing is they really do know how to write good contemporary stories. Like, damn, some of the stuff they've got coming out. Mm-hmm. Some good stuff. I mean, and I think John Green kind of had a hand in that, but, you know, he's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, I remember one uh, they, we still got some Barnes & Nobles over here, and um, uh, one time we, we stopped there, and I, I don't really spend a lot of time looking at books. I'll usually just sit down while Shirley's looking around, and I'll just, you know, fart around my DS or something. But uh, one time I was... I forgot my DS. So I was looking at the fic- books, and there's the romance section, and it's like half the books were vampire romance books. I'm like, oh my god, please, you, you got to be kidding me! It was hilarious. But I heard that I heard, no, it's huge. I heard that uh, that uh, what is it? Steampunk is is steampunk getting kind it's of popular? Huge now. Yeah. Steampunk is getting really popular in both YA and in adult novels. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a lot of good stuff there. I've been reading a lot of really good steampunk in the last two years. I've got one series that I've been reading religiously that keeps going, and I'm just like, cool! You know, Steampunk Seattle, zombie apocalypse on top of it. I can dig it. Were you inspired to go through the works of Tom Clancy by his death? Um, no, because I can't stand Tom Clancy's writing. I hate it. It's just like, I really don't like Lee Child's writing. I find them too similar, and I find that neither of them know how to make interesting dialogue that's not pew-pew, bang-bang, guns, I'm a douche face. Nothing against Tom Clancy, because the man really helped pirate some of the, the good shooters in the video game genre, but he's not my thing. So Splinter Cell is a shooter? Splinter Cell's games are shooters, dude. Okay. <laughs> I only played one of them, and, and I definitely less of a did shooter. not find it to be a shooter. No, the last few... Yeah, that was the first one. The, the last few that have come out over the years, are, uh, they've been shooters. The first one wasn't. No, I know the first one wasn't, but I'm saying like the, uh, the last few that have come out, like Future Soldier, um, definitely a shooter. Splinter Cell Blacklist, also a shooter. I do remember that, because I saw the classic game room take on it. That was funny. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's cool stuff in the book world. I'm sure, like, everybody's got things that they love. Like I said, being a book reviewer on top of my library studies has been really helpful in the sense that it means that I, I am in an advantage of understanding what's in for teens right now, what's not in for teens. And because I also work a job with teens, you know, I have a bit of knowledge on the up and the up. Mm. But still give me like a nice big fat fantasy novel and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. I was out uh, right before this show. I had to do a dinner. I was doing a dinner meeting with uh, with some other guys, and and some of them were starting to talk about the the the, the was it the wheels of time something time. Oh, the uh, the wheel of time. Yeah, by Robert Jordan. Mm, that got passed on to Brandon. Brandon Sanderson, Sanderson and stuff like that. Brandon and, Sanderson is amazing. And they he's a really really good writer. They were they were they were hyping it up. They, they were doing it. I, I wish I could say I like Wheel of Time, but I, I really did not like Robert Jordan's writing style, and I found just nothing happened in those books. But there's a part of me that's like, I want to read the Sanderson ones because I actually love Sanderson's style of writing. I love the way he does characters. I like the way he does plot and setting, and I'm like, he's everything I love in a fantasy author because he's not really pretentious about what he does either. Mm-hmm. He's just this nice man from Utah. Yeah. He's like, I like books. I like playing Pathfinder. I'm a cool guy. Oh, <laughs> Let's play some Magic the Gathering. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's exactly what they were talking about, too. So that that's um, because we are doing um, – later on we're doing um, uh, a convention for just role-playing. It's something uh, three of my friends and I got together and decided to hair up a rest because I work at a hotel and we've got convention space. So it's like, hey, why don't we just do a role playing game? And then today, you know, one of us was we were talking online, and one was like, yeah, we should reach out to Brandon, you know, and Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, he'd be, and he'd probably gladly do it. I mean, he's there in Salt Lake, so so well, might get something going there. All right, it'd be worth it. He probably would come if it meant Magic the Gathering. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sound like you've been uh, pretty busy. Cool. Um. I've been, uh, as I mentioned last show, I've been playing P- Path of Exile. Uh, so that's that. Uh, we, there's a little article about it. There was an interview we did on RPGamer.com, which is actually, ironically enough, what got me to look into it. Uh, being someone who was who kind of liked Diablo, but was also disapp- uh, Diablo three was, but it was also disappointed with certain aspects of it. Uh, looks like some of that stuff was kind of addressing in path of exile plus they've got the huge ass sphere grid that makes for leveling up that makes final fantasies look like a speck in the ocean uh it's so huge it's the hugest sphere grid i've ever seen and uh for leveling up plus they've taken the the junction mechanics from final fantasy 7 with the items in the armor which i still haven't figured out how to combine uh gems i'm in act two with my rogue and i haven't figured out how to combine those so i got a little frustrated started up a warrior and as one might suspect, this warrior is much more straightforward. You just go forward and batch stuff, and he, he's got much more armor and just totally stands his own. It's much simpler and easier to play uh, than a rogue where you're, you know, in an action clickety game. You have to really be on your feet to not get hit too much at once. Uh, so, um, but so far, pretty solid. I, like I said, I got further than the, on the last show we talked about a couple of days ago. I just barely, you know, put any time into it and, and um, into Act 2. And it's been, um, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's graphics aren't quite as good. I mean, on a technical level, they're not quite as good as, um, as Diablo three, but, uh, but it, it definitely feels closer to the flavor of Diablo two because it's much more gory and things blow up and geysers of blood and stuff and bodies rot away. Creepy. Yeah. So <sighs> anyways, I'll keep, uh, I'll keep plugging away at that. Cause I don't know. Do you know, Sam, if anybody at RP gamers playing this for a review, no one, as far as I know. Not that I have a burning desire to actually, you know, write out a review. review but um, <laughs> no, um, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody's reading it. If I get, oh, come on, <laughs> but but Cross Edge was such a wonderful project. How could you not want to have more review projects? Nah, yeah, I think I've been, uh, I've been, uh, yeah, spoiled for life on those. But uh, and from the abyss, that uh, was even better. Jeez. 
See, he just likes bringing up people's pain, except for we like to remind him he sillily took over Agarest War. Agarest War. So I like to think that we can keep rubbing that in his face, Phil. <laughs> Go right ahead. I, I will, know what I'm doing. Because you, you're you, sad you can't hurt that you me. picked that. You can't hurt me as much as the game can, Sam. You can't even try. Oh, jeez. No, I know, and I don't plan to. Uh, All yours, buddy. Sh- Good luck. Shoot. All right. Well, and I think I just, I think I talked Disque already to death on the last one. So that's the only way they're going to really put some more time. Yeah. And more, a little bit more Animal Crossing, but uh, planted some more trees and stuff. But the little town's coming along. Good old Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing's so fun. It's so cute. Scott keeps saying it's my Never chore game, it. but it's, I don't care that it's a chore Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, as I was telling Shirley, it, it does have a lot of kind of the MMO flavor to it where sometimes I would log on to when I you know, was doing a lot of MMOs. You'd log on and just do your daily quest or you're doing something for crafting. You know, you're setting your mind, okay, I'm going to go out and find this much material for crafting today. And so in a way, it's kind of a chore. In a way, it's kind of relaxing. So I do that with Animal Crossing. Today, I got on today just to do, you know, just to gather up the fruit and the, the things in the ground and the such to make my money and uh and then that was all i did for today but then there's the the days where you have more time and you can say okay well now i'm really going to make my town beautiful or i'm going to work on some ordinances or i'm going to go out to that tropical island and make a buttload of bells um you know so you can Mm. you can kind of do that that sort of thing yeah surely likes to go to the tropical island where the bugs are on the trees and you just you know you just catch a whole bunch of really high-end bugs and and then go back and sell them so you're doing that right, Sam? Make, yep. Making your bells? Okay. It's all about the bells, after all. Bells. It's all about the bells. So I kind of do mine a little every day just by going around the town and collecting, planting more more expensive trees as I go along. So I need more axes. They break too easy. I need more. So I can cut down more of the cheap trees and plant expensive trees that will bear expensive fruit. So all righty. Well, uh, thank you for hanging out. We're going to make this a little bit shorter than normal, but that's okay. Uh, we won't uh, leave you empty-handed, though. We will remind you that RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards, or email me at jcserverandrpgamer.com, or mikeminky at albertodyssey at hotmail.com, and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com forward slash rpgamer, and become our biggest fans at facebook.com forward slash rp gamer uh you can also tweet me at uh i don't know slash jc servant um as always listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show rpg cast at rpgamer.com find us on itunes leave us lots of 12 star comments and the such and all that other fun jazz sam thank you so much for being on the show tonight thank you for having me and that baker man we'll thank him too we love him too and mike put us to bed we love you too yeah uh I'm I'm gonna go watch the Ingmar Bergman movie now. <laughs> okay, have fun.
Oh, 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 oh,